Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, July 15th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, uh, you know, last week... We were talking about film festivals and what was going to happen, what wasn't going to happen. One of the film festivals that was scheduled to still happen was the Telluride Film Festival, but that is now canceled? Chris, tell us about it. Yes, it sure is. Um, Last month, or actually, I think it was May. I have no time. I have no concept of time anymore. But in May, uh, the Telluride Film Festival sent out an email saying they were definitely still going to happen. And they were even adding an extra day to be safe. That's how they put it. But uh, as time ticked on, it became more and more obvious that this just isn't possible. And now they've officially announced they're not happening this year. Uh, Telluride is a is a relatively small festival because it's located. Basically, you have to like get up a mountain in Colorado <laughs> to go there. And on top of that, all the screenings, they're not actually held at movie theaters. What they do is they turn local businesses into movie theaters. So the logistics of all that 
just was not possible this year. What with, you know, everything going on. Yeah. It's kind of funny. The craziest film festivals, like you, you can't just fly into them. You got to fly into them and then take like, you know, a three hour shuttle ride through the mountains. And then like the movie theaters are built in elk lodges and, <laughs> um, you know, uh, the local high school or grade school or something like that. For some reason, I was expect- actually expecting this to happen because it felt like, you know, the, this town is so secluded and they kind of have this, uh, I don't know, I guess kind of like Western, like we're going to we're going to make this happen kind of like attitude to it. Chris, are you surprised that this has been canceled? Uh, yes and no. I mean, on one side of the coin, it's a it's a small festival, like not as many people go there. It's also one of the more expensive festivals. Um, this is like one of the few film festivals. I actually think it's maybe the only film festival that doesn't give free press accreditation. Like you can get accredited to go to the Telluride, but you still have to pay, which is not true of any other festival. Like you have to pay to go there, but you know, you have to pay for travel, but other film festivals, if you get accredited, you get to go to the films for free, but Telluride, you still have to pay. So a part of me thought like, Oh, they're probably still going to do it because it's so small. But on the other hand, because it's so small, that means it's going to probably be, it would have been more, uh concentrated like everyone would be on top of each other and i i guess it's just it just is not feasible yeah uh do you have any like evolving thoughts on you know what's going to happen to the future of film festival man i don't know i uh, a part of me thinks a lot of them are just going to have to suck it up and go completely online and i know no one wants to do that because a big part of film festivals is not just you know screening for the public and not just, you know, screening for an audience, but it's also about bringing revenue into those locations, you know, like TIFF and South by Southwest and all those, all those festivals, they bring millions of dollars of revenue to, you know, Toronto and Austin. And no one wants to turn that into online only because they're going to lose that revenue. But I I just don't know <laughs> with the way things are going, I don't know how they can avoid it. And also bigger films don't want to do online because, then someone could possibly pirate their movie, right. which could kill the film. So yeah. it's it's interesting. Uh, when do you think, I guess, wait, are any other festivals, uh, TIFF is happening online. Right. They're still going to have some sort of, or so they're saying, they're still going to have some sort of um, in-person component, like they're going to have drive-ins. But it's also worth noting that Canada is not letting anyone from the U S in right now as well, they should, because we're awful. So uh, I, I have a feeling they might just do away with this in-person stuff altogether, but they are as of now also planning to put all 50 of their films. They haven't announced what the films are, but in the, the email they sent out, it said they're going to put all 50 films this year online. So they are going to have that online component, but that's the only one I know of that's putting all of their films online. Like other fests are having like partial online. So what do you think is going to be the first big festival that's like going to be in person again? Uh, I mean, Venice still says they're going through with in-person stuff, which is wild because Italy was one of the worst hit places. I remember back when this all started, but they're, I guess they're confident in that they're going to be okay unless they change their minds. But that that's the first one that's soon that I know of, but even that could change. That takes place at the same time as Telluride. So that's crazy crazy to think okay it sure is 
<laughs> and also last week we talked about New Jersey was getting sued by the movie theater chains because they were not allowed to reopen. We have an update on that whole situation. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, so the reason that the movie theater chains and the National Association of Theater Owners was filing a lawsuit against New Jersey was because they didn't think that it was fair that places like libraries and churches were allowed to reopen, but movie theaters were forced to remain closed. Uh, And that's a very fair point to make. Um, You know, none of these places should be open at all right now, but because that's how New Jersey is handling the situation, that's the lawsuit. And one of the things that they did was uh, request a restraining order that would have uh, allowed them to reopen immediately. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, a federal judge uh, in New Jersey has denied that request. So now their only hope is to wait to see how the state responds to a request for an injunction uh, that would basically allow them to reopen um, and be open with the rest of the businesses that have been uh, considered safe to resume business, uh, you know, as, as best they can during this time. So that's apparently the state has to make a decision on that injunction by July 24th. And depending on how that goes, uh, a, a court date has been scheduled to happen on or before August 4th in order to work through all of that. So there's still a chance that these theaters could uh, get the ability uh, to reopen, but it's just a matter of, uh, I guess, how soon, depending on how the, the litigation goes. Yeah. Well, they have to re- uh, they have to reopen before August twelfth. That's when Tenant is supposed to hit theaters, right? Yeah, and that's definitely going to happen, one hundred percent. That leads us into our next story, and that is that some movie theaters are closing. Chris, what do we know? Ah, uh, yeah. So, movie theaters in both Hong Kong and California are closing down um, not too long after they reopened again. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I honestly don't know what else to say at this point about this. Uh, I I feel like in the last two weeks, I've written at least like seven stories where I I use the sentence, coronavirus shows no sign of going away or some alteration of that because it's it's just the sad truth. There's no escaping it. And California had partially started to reopen stuff and now they issued this it's a it's a, it's a statewide ban it's not just certain locations it's across the entire state that movie yeah. theaters just can't reopen and uh hong kong uh same thing where they, they had upped the, the the number of people to gather to 50 and now they're dropping it down to four so basically you can't have more than four people gathering in one place in hong kong right now which means there's there's no way to have movie theaters be open by the way, isn't like didn't Hong Kong do this because they had a rise of like fifty cases in a day or something like insane, right. like so insanely low yeah, compared that, to what we're seeing here in the U.S. Yeah, exactly. Like that, and that just shows, I think, how <laughs> how doomed we are. Where <laughs> Hong Kong is like fifty cases, that's it. We're shutting down. Whereas in America, it's like thousands, and they're just like, well. We'll see how it shakes out. And I sit at my desk and I put my head in my hands. Uh, here in California, they like, you know, this is part of a whole thing issued by the governor. I, like he's closing down all indoor things. So like indoor malls. I went to a mall this past week uh, to grab some of the new ornaments at Hallmark. Uh, and uh, yeah, so indoor malls are now closed. Uh, and, and, you know, indoor restaurants, bars. 
any, anything like that is closed. So that includes movie theaters. So, so now that all movie theaters are closed in California, what does that mean for the possible release of Tenet and films like Mulan? Uh, it means it's even more unlikely than than ever. Uh, Los Angeles, in particular, is a huge box office market, and I think Tenet needs to make like eight hundred million dollars to turn a profit. And if it can't open in LA, there's there's no way uh, Warner Brothers is going to want to roll that out in, in August. So you should probably expect the Tenet release date to change again. <laughs> Well, well, good thing they didn't put the release date on the poster, the re-release poster that just says uh, coming to theaters or something. I think they <laughs> did actually put out a poster oh, after that with the, with the August date. So they're going to, I, I feel like those are going to be like collector's items one day. Like I have the tenant poster that has the July date on it. They I have, have the one with the October date on it. It's just going to like people will be trading tenant posters in the wasteland. They just release a poster that has an area at the bottom where you can just write dry erase marker with the date. <laughs> yes. Uh, like, how are we going to solve this, guys? I, I know we're just a bunch of guys on a movie news podcast, but like, <sighs> how 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 does it, like? I guess we need some kind of national declaration, right? Like, we need like masks to be required everywhere, one hundred percent, or you will get a like. A big fine or like i think that has to be what has to happen right i mean for uh, you know boiling it down to bear to brass tacks we need actual oh my we need actual <laughs> wait we, Chris, are you being hailed by aliens i guess so i don't know what that was <laughs> sorry but, that, that's my alarm it's the close encounters of the third kind theme. <laughs> But yeah, I, I was going to say, we need like actual leadership in this country, and we sadly don't have that. So until we have that, and until we have, you know, it hammered home for everyone that they have to start wearing masks, I don't I don't see the solution here. And then, you know, the other solution is, all right, one day we'll have a vaccine, but then we're going to have to worry about anti-vaxxer people who, you know, are insane and think, the government wants to give us vaccines to insert microchips into our blood. And then we're going to have to deal with that. And it's, I, I, I don't want to be so doom and gloom and say like, there's no hope, but every day it feels less and less likely that things are going to be okay again. And I would like that to change sometime soon, please. Did you see this video? It's on YouTube. I put it in our Slack channel. I'll put it in the show notes. But it's these two guys that went to Huntington Beach in California, which is Huntington Beach for uh, anybody who doesn't know is kind of like the Florida of of California, I guess is a way to say. It. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people there that are right leaning. They don't believe in masks. And these two guys are uh, they have a box full of masks and they're trying to give out these masks for free to everybody that they see that are not wearing masks. And it is. I want to say it's hilarious, but it's more depressing than hilarious. Like just the reactions and people that actually believe, you know, what you said, like that, uh, you know, this whole thing is a conspiracy and they're just trying to control us and uh, people not wanting to wear masks. It, it's, it's really depressing is what I'm saying, I guess. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that video pissed me off. Yeah. Um, and, and I also read an article somewhere. I'm not sure where. But it was like if everybody in the United States wore masks for like I think it said three weeks, we'd be like through with this. It's this. It's Just, the the director of the CDC said that if everyone wore masks for four to six weeks, that we would be able to drive the pandemic into the ground. And like we could have been there at this point if they had, if everyone had just been doing it 
to begin with. But no, everyone is selfish. It infuriates me that even the CDC in the beginning were like, you don't masks are not important. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, this this whole thing has been mismanaged from the beginning, but you live and learn unless you don't live and then you die. Yeah. Uh, well, for those of us living, we're waiting for Hollywood to go back into production here in California uh, on new movies and TV shows. Uh, Brad, what, what is the update on that? Well, Hollywood isn't really picking up production in film or TV on a major scale just yet, simply because California is still dealing with a lot of coronavirus struggles. Uh, just earlier this week, Governor Newsom uh, announced the closure of movie theaters and restaurants and bars statewide all over again. And 30 counties, including Los Angeles, uh, have even stricter closures for churches and salons and whatnot. Um, but there's one concern that could end up being an issue as we get closer to the possibility of production restarting because uh, the California uh, Public Health Department of Public Health recently changed their guidelines as far as how uh, tests are being doled out to people. There's now a tiered uh, testing system that w gives tests to certain people sooner than others. Apparently, they've had an issue with uh, a shortage of tests and also how quickly test results are being given back to people because there's been such an influx of people getting tested just because they're worried they have it or because people are trying to get back to work and they need to get tested before they can do that. Um, and the reason this could be a problem for Hollywood is because as it stands, the first two tiers are for people who are um, hospitalized with COVID symptoms or people who have COVID symptoms who need to be tested to see if they have it uh, or maybe asymptomatic. Um, but the lower two tiers are the ones that Hollywood productions would probably be lumped into. Tier three is for people who work in retail or manufacturing sectors or food services. And while you can't really classify filmmaking or TV production as manufacturing, I guess you could say that they manufacture entertainment. Um, but if they're not in tier three, then that means they're in tier four. So that's the lowest priority. And considering the high amount of testing that the new safety protocols want to have, which includes testing on the first day of production, testing uh, actors and people who come in contact with them a few times a week, and testing office uh, production office people at least once a week, uh, that's a lot of testing that is mostly, quote unquote, unnecessary when compared to people who need the tests more and need their results faster. So if this problem persists as we get closer to Hollywood being able to start shooting movies and TV shows again, then this could create a delay for a lot of those um, productions that need to do a lot of testing in a short period of time. So when do you think the like first productions are going to restart in Hollywood then? 2032 is probably my estimate. Um, no, we're, we're just gonna like move to New Zealand and set up shop there. Yeah, it's um, that, that, and that's that's the other, you know the other reason that we we keep talking about how you know the United States is being really ignorant and stupid about how we're handling stuff, but productions are starting to resume shooting major blockbuster movies in places like New Zealand and Australia and England. Uh, overseas, they've handled this a lot better and they're getting back to work. And so if you, we want the ability to reopen stuff and, you know, have our freedoms and, you know, more jobs again and not have to worry about this, then we really need to buckle down and wear masks and social distance in order for us to get back to normal, because otherwise it's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, Avatar, the Avatar sequels were one of the first to restart over in New Zealand. I remember seeing the Instagram post from James Cameron and his producer, John Landau, 
uh, where they actually, once they landed in New Zealand, they had to go into quarantine for two weeks or something like that. Yeah, and New, before... and New Zealand just announced that they have zero cases of coronavirus now. Yeah, but I was just thinking, like, if you're requiring all of you, the people that are outside of New Zealand coming in to make this movie to be in their hotel room for two weeks, quarantined, like, that, that that's a big expense. But, like, I guess that's enough of an expense, like... It, it, I mean, they're back in production, right? So I guess it's worth it. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just can't imagine, like, uh, you know, James Cameron, you know, stuck in a hotel room for for two weeks, like, you know, looking at his iPad or something. Um, okay, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about, I guess, uh, a, a film project that has just been announced. This is a reboot of Fletch. I know back in the day. Kevin Smith was talking about rebooting Flash. That never happened. Uh, and this one is coming from the director of Superbad. Chris, tell us about it. Yeah. As you said, Kevin Smith for a long time was trying to do a reboot with uh, Jason Lee. And then that, that never happened. And then at one point, uh, Bill Lawrence, the guy who created Scrubs, was going to make his feature directorial debut with a Fletch reboot. And that never happened as well. And now uh, Greg Matola, who directed uh, Superbad, is is tackling the reboot and john ham is going to star in the film and uh interestingly enough this isn't going to adapt the first fletch novel which was already adapted into a film with chevy chase this is actually adapting the second book at least the second published book in the series the fletch book series is very weird there's like nine books and uh after the the first two were published the, the author started doing prequels so like the order is very very weird so like the fourth book published is actually the first book in the series. It's a very strange thing. Anyway, yeah. this is a, an adaptation of the second published book in the series, which is called Confess Fleshed. Fletch. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I thought in the beginning you were going to say, and now uh, Greg Matola is also not going to make a Fletch free. <laughs> I mean, yeah, based on the, the track record here, I wouldn't be surprised if this falls apart as well, but we'll see. You know, I saw the fletch movies there's two of them right yeah there's fletch and fletch lives is the sequel yeah i i, I saw those when i was younger and i i didn't really love i don't know i'm not a big chevy chase fan uh what did you think of the fletch uh movies or books i've actually never seen the fletch movies those were always movies i would see like the vhs boxes of at the at the video store and i would never rent them I, i've seen like clips but i've never seen the movie and i know that at one point I, I'm pretty sure Chevy Chase like goes like into blackface to play a basketball player. And I'm, I'm positive that won't be in, in the remake. So I'm, I'm not sure how those films hold up these days. Cause I haven't actually seen them. Brad, have you ever seen the Fletch movies? No, it's actually a blind spot in my, uh, my comedy viewing habits. And I've been, I've keep meaning to watch it, but I just haven't sat down to take the time to do it. Interesting. Um, well, I, I'd be interested to hear what you think because I feel like the comedy is very dated, and I don't know. Maybe the books are better. People well, seem to like that book series. It's the books actually aren't like overly comedic. They're more like serious books with com comedic elements. And it says that this movie is going to actually take that approach, where it's going to be a little more, not so much a drama, but it's going to be a, like a, a noir with occasional comedic elements, unlike. The Chevy Chase movies, which were, you know, full-blown comedies. Okay, let's move on to uh, another book. This is from Stephen King. It's a, it's a book that is going to be adapted into many different movies by 
big name directors and producers. Chris, tell us about it. Yeah, so Stephen King recently, uh, I think it was last month or maybe the month before, he published a new um, short story collection called If It Bleeds. It had uh, four stories in it. And all four of those stories are uh, in some um, variation of development right now into either films or possibly TV shows. Uh, one is Mr. Harrigan's Phone, which is being turned into a Netflix movie from uh, Ryan Murphy and Blumhouse. Another is Rat, which is being developed uh, as a feature by Ben Stiller, who plans to both direct and star in the movie. Another is The Life of Chuck, which is being produced by Darren Aronofsky. And then the other is If It's Bleed, which is the title story, which may or may not become uh, a new season of The Outsider, uh, the HBO series, which adapt the Stephen King book of the same name, because If It Bleeds is a direct sequel to The Outsider book. Oh, uh, so you have read this book, right? Yes, I have. Which of these stories do you think would make good movies? Uh, both Rat and Mr. Harrigan's Phone are are the two that would probably make the best films. Um, the Life of Chuck is very <laughs> experimental. I can't really say much about it with giving away. Like, there's a really big, weird twist in it, so I can't really tell yeah. you what it is. But it'll be very hard to make that into a film if it's like a direct adaptation. But both... Uh, um, Mr. Harkin's phone and rat have all the trappings of potentially good films. Um, I didn't really love the, if it bleeds story, but I didn't really love the outsider book either, but I liked the TV adaptation. So uh, that has potential. So give us a quick pitch on rat and the phone one. Okay. So Mr. Harrigan's phone, it's set at the, it starts off at the, the dawn of the iPhone age. And it's about this, this boy living in a small town and this billionaire moves to town and he hires the boy to do odd jobs for him. And the boy gets an iPhone for his birthday and he buys the old man an iPhone as well as a gift. And the old man, it becomes obsessed with the iPhone. And then the old man dies. And at the funeral, the boy puts the old man's iPhone in his, his pocket, in his coffin. And then he's able to later text the old man in his grave. And the old man, uh, his ghost is able to go out and <laughs> avenge the boy. Basically like the, the boy sends the old man after a, a bully at school and the old man's ghost may or may not kill the boy. It's very vague, but it, it's, 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 it's hinted at. So that's like an old horror trope. Like there's a twilight zone episode where a telephone line cord falls onto some guy's grave and he's able to call people. So it's sort of like, Stephen King's take on that trope and it's a fun story uh rat is also fun it's about uh, a writer who goes away to a, a cabin to write a novel and while he's there he comes down with the flu and he begins hallucinating that he's talking to a rat who's also in the cabin and and, <laughs> and the rat says i'll help you finish your book but it will come with a a deadly price and the man agrees to it and he, you know, he thinks he's hallucinating, but then it turns out the deadly price actually ends up coming true. So he starts to think, ah, maybe that rat really did talk to me. And uh, I, I do like that Ben Stiller is tackling this because it is, you know, a darkly comedic story. And Ben Stiller can do dark comedy when, you know, he puts his mind to it. Like the cable guy is a particularly dark comedy. So I am kind of interested to see what he does with that material. So that's what we have to look forward to. Uh, ben Stiller in a cabin talking to a rat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I just love the idea that, like, you know, Stephen King, like, finishes typing out. I imagine, like, I'm sure he 
he works on a computer these days, right? Yeah. But I, 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 I don't know. For some reason, I, I think it's probably because of misery. I like to imagine him typing on like a typewriter, like an old typewriter. And he like takes the piece of paper out and he like puts it into an envelope and sends it to his agent. And then like the agent like holds this like eBay style, like, you know, everybody, like all the studios and filmmakers gather in a room to, you know, au- auction off like these, these stories. Oh, I'm sure that's that's close to what happens because you know you can just if you just put Stephen King's name on something, people want it. Like that's that's where he's at in his career. Yeah, yeah, he's a brand for sure. Yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about one last story here. The Matrix, the cinematographer of those movies, has gone on to to blame Stanley Kubrick for why the sequels were so mind numbing. Brad, what is going on here? <laughs> well, uh, it, the reasoning behind this uh, blame on Stanley Kubrick actually comes from uh, the filmmakers themselves, uh, the Wachowski siblings. Um, apparently, there was uh, at one point um, a book that Stanley Kubrick was quoted in where he said that uh, actors basically don't give uh, their their best takes um, until they've done it a number of times until they're a little more exhausted and they start really like giving their best. And for some reason that inspired the Wachowskis uh, to do an extensive number of takes. Um, <laughs> and so because of that, I guess the process of shooting this movie, which, you know, it's a blockbuster with tons of fight sequences and all this stuff uh, was just exhausting. Um, you know, they had 276 shoot days and, uh, <laughs> Alexander Pope says that it's, uh, mind numbing and soul numbing <laughs> to do something like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like maybe they, they didn't need to heed that advice <laughs> so, so closely to make a movie like this. Yeah. Well, do we know for a fact that they were actually taking the advice from Stanley Kubrick? Because he says, like, you know, let's take let's go to take 90 on this one. Um, is that just them trying to be perfectionist or like is he reading into that? Like, does he know that they actually read this Kubrick book? I I, I mean, it's, yeah. I think since he specifically mentions it, I I'm sure that they explained why they were doing so many takes or that it was discussed. Uh, at at some point, so I mean, it, it would be a hell of a thing, you know, to make up. And and Alexander yeah. Pope has worked with a lot of uh, very famous and skilled filmmakers, so for him to you know point out something like this, it, it definitely says something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I'm not sure the execution of these scenes in the story is the reason why the Matrix sequels were not so great. Like, what, what is your feeling on the Matrix sequels, Brad? Uh, I actually think Reloaded is fantastic. Um, I think it's very much on par with the first movie. I think it it expands the universe of the Matrix, improves upon uh, some of the action sequences um, and whatnot. But I think that it's sullied by the fact that the conclusion in Matrix Revolution is ultimately pretty disappointing and generic. Uh, I think there are so many cool threads set up in Reloaded where it could have gone in a really interesting direction, but it just turns into this very uh, typical, broad, you know, hero versus villain kind of kind of movie that lets the effects do the the heavy lifting. Um, but for what it's worth, I think that they, they knocked Reloaded out of the park. Yeah, now I, I feel like the problem here is in the store in the screenwriting. Not necessarily the execution. Well, you you say let the effects do the heavy lifting. That was also a problem because I feel like 
some of the effects that they were, were shooting for were above their means at that time. Um, but uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on the Matrix sequels? Uh, they have, they have parts I like, like that that freeway scene in the second one is is really cool because a yeah. lot of that is done practically. But there's also just a lot of junk in those films that just doesn't work for me. Uh, that there's that part where. Neo fights like a hundred Agent Smiths, and they all look like rubbery <laughs> cartoons, and it, it's really distracting. And I, um, I appreciate uh, what I like about the Wachowskis is they they always swing for the fences. They don't like they don't phone anything in. They're always trying to do something big and bold and strange. And even if it doesn't work, I do appreciate them taking the risk, which is is more than a lot of big filmmakers do. So while I may not love all their movies, I do appreciate the uh the boldness of them yeah i think i think that's pretty well said um before we go i wanted to mention an email that i got uh the other day i had said that um you know in hollywood you hear filmmakers say all the time that that like you know this remake or this yeah this remake is going to be better than the the last one because we're being more true to the source material and i i made a comment on how usually those remakes are not as good as the first one um and uh, i put the call out to listeners out there to name one that actually is better than the original that they that they actually kind of tried to make that claim and we did actually have one a person right in with a, a good answer. This is from uh, William Van Beek. He wrote in the Coen Brothers True Geek, uh, True Grit. So I, I I I think that's probably fair, right? That's probably closer to the source material and is a overall better film than the original. So so there you go. Anyways, uh, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashroom.com. And rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you on Friday.